Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles and Homefield Apparel. I am Brett Hudson, and I'm joined, as always, by Clint Lamb. Clint, how you doing, man? I'm doing fantastic, brother. How you doing this morning? I'm I'm feeling great. I'm I'm rocking some Homefield Apparel at the moment. I've got my my famous Maryland hoodie on. It's super comfortable, and it's a really cool logo too. So you can go to HomefieldApparel.com to see all of of their products they have 13 pieces of alabama gear on there plus some national championship gear that we mentioned uh in a previous episode and gear from over a hundred other schools on homefieldapparel.com it is unique licensed collegiate apparel on the most comfortable t-shirts hoodies and sweatshirts that you will own the national championship gear so now I guess it's up to 16 pieces with with uh, with the national title gear. They have a a crimson. I almost said red. I almost made that mistake. They have a crimson T-shirt uh, with the 18 on the helmet for the the 18th national championship. Um, they have a gray T-shirt with the official national champions logo, the one with the palm trees and the football that kind of looks like the stadium in Miami, and they have that same logo on a white sweatshirt. So there's a, there's a few options for you there. You can find them all at homefieldapparel.com. You, if you're if it's your first purchase of Homefield Apparel, which if you've been listening to this podcast for the entire season, I don't know why you waited so long. But if you did, you can use the promo code BAMABEAT to get 20% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. So... In the previous episode this week, we kind of put a put a bow on the 2020 season that was and the the national championship and and all of that. And now we turn the page to 2021 because that's just how how the cycle goes in, in college football these days. There's very little time for for digestion and understanding of what just happened. We're always on to the next thing, and a lot of that 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 fire is has the gasoline poured on it by coaches and players leaving Alabama's had a good bit of that over the last few days some good news sprinkled in there though we'll get to that later on in the episode so we're we're going to kind of do a quick not necessarily a quick but kind of an overview of of the entire thing we're going to get deeper into position by position stuff when we get closer to spring ball people will remember that from from last spring when we were probably what four or five episodes into a spring position by position breakdown when the, when the pandemic hit and canceled spring practice. But so we'll, we'll dive into each position group in more extensive detail later on in the spring. We're doing kind of an overview of what Alabama's lost, what Alabama has gotten back and some of the key decisions that are left to be made on the player side, but we'll start, with the coach side, where Alabama has retained all of its defensive staff for now, but has lost almost all of its offensive staff. Offensive coordinator and quarterback coach Steve Sarkeesian is now the head coach at Texas. He took offensive line coach Kyle Flood and tight ends coach Jeff Banks with him. Banks was also the special teams coordinator. And the running backs coach Charles Huff is now the head coach at Marshall so the only holdover from last year to the upcoming season on Alabama's offensive staff is currently wide receivers coach Holman Wiggins. Now we can get to some of the the replacements, the the reported placements, and, and some of the candidates for other replacements later on. But I, I think where Alabama is most, I guess most impacted by some of these departures, other than Sarkeesian's excellence in play calling and, and running an intelligent offensive system, is the recruiting side of things. Jeff Banks was an excellent recruiter just in general, but especially in the state of Texas in the most recent 
recruiting class. He and Kyle Flood teamed up for for some pretty big wins in the state of Texas. They did get three offensive linemen from the state, after all. And he was involved in some of the recruitment of other um, Texan prospects, which is what made him so valuable to Sark going to to Austin, right? You you would like to have dudes who can recruit the Lone Star State, and, and Jeff Banks did that as well as anybody in the 2021 recruiting class. That's not to diminish what both Banks and Flood did with their respective position groups, especially Flood, who uh, really went through some, some difficult times in his two years as Alabama's offensive line coach. He had to deal with Deontay Brown's NCAA suspension in the first four games of the 19 season and then had to deal with Landon Dickerson going down for the the playoff games and plugging Chris Owens in plus doing it for the Arkansas game to replace seven Neal. It's not to diminish what they did as position coaches, but where I think Alabama is is in need of addition is finding some recruiting replacements for for flood and banks specifically. Yeah. And uh, to kind of add to um the the offensive losses uh you also got to include i guess butch jones who sure. i understand that wasn't an on the field coach but an offensive minded guy that was within the program he's now the head coach at arkansas state you got uh major applewhite who was an analyst he's now you know moving on to be the offensive coordinator at uh, south alabama he's taking with him rob Ezel, who was a former walk-on at alabama he was actually the quarterback of uh, the state championship team that I was a part of back in 2006. But I know that Nick Saban thinks very highly of Rob Ezel. And so he's going with major Applewhite to be the, uh, the tight ends coach there uh, for the Jaguars. And then you also got AJ Milley who is joining Bush Jones at Arkansas state to be their offensive coordinator. And he was also an analyst yeah. kind of off the field uh, role. So some of those guys that were maybe being groomed uh, to maybe get a promotion uh, at some point in the near future, you know, the, the pipeline was also hit. It wasn't just the guys who are currently in place. So I, I think that that's fairly interesting as well. And that kind of goes for the defensive side of the football too. Uh, just, you know, they, they didn't lose a, a ton there necessarily. But, you know, if Pete Golding were to go to Texas, a guy that was kind of maybe being groomed for that role potentially was a Charlie Strong maybe. Uh, there was some speculation there, nothing definitive. But uh, he's now going to the Jacksonville Jaguars to, to reunite with Urban Meyer to be their line backers coach uh and I'm maybe an associate head coach I don't know uh what the exact role for him will be but that's just you know it, it kind of like I said the pipeline's been hit a little bit and that's what makes it a little bit different um you know they probably were going to go outside anyways but I know that some of those guys were being kind of groomed to eventually take over a bigger role and, and some like a Rob Ezel could very well end up coming back at some point in the future, depending on how things go but you know him finally getting his first crack at being a position coach will be great for him but, you know, going back to your point about the recruiting side of things, I think that that is very, very important. And, and I, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, uh, Alabama hit the state of Texas so hard in this past recruiting class. Not only does Texas go and get Alabama's offensive coordinator, who's got head coaching experience, very innovative, but they also get the offensive line coach. You're talking about all those offensive linemen that you – brought up previously uh, that they went into the state of Texas to get this year. They go get the guy that was very appealing that, that a lot of those players wanted to go play for. And they also get, you know, one of the best recruiters uh, in the state of Texas and Jeff Banks as well. So I don't think that that was a coincidence uh, at all, actually, um, you know, put on the tenfold hat, but I think there's something to that. But now it's a matter of Alabama replacing the recruiting aspect of those guys. The, the, the coaching stuff, in a lot of ways, that'll probably um, kind of solve itself uh, when you're working with the kind of talent that Alabama's got. You have to be, uh, you know, pretty bad in order to not be a successful coach on the field. It doesn't mean that it's, it's automatic, but um, you know, I just think that they're, you know, it's kind of like Steve Sarkeesian when he was brought in. He wasn't a super popular hire amongst Alabama fans, but. I felt like that the the one game audition that he had in the national championship was unfair. I felt like that you know that things in the NFL compared to college football were much different. And I understand that the Atlanta Falcons' offense was seemingly loaded, and that's something that everybody pointed to. But nobody else has really had much success there with those guys either. And you know, I just feel like him coming back to Tuscaloosa 
and him having all those toys to work with and talent, there was it was a, a very it would have been very surprising to see him fail. I, I didn't really see a scenario where he would fail, but he exceeded expectations. Certainly, uh, it wasn't just meeting expectations. He did much better than a, than both myself and a lot of other people thought that he would. But uh, the, the recruiting side is going to be super important in the way that Alabama tries to attack that. And, you know, part of me, and I don't know if you wanted to go ahead and get into this or not, but you talk about some of the potential replacements that they're bringing in. One guy that they've said, Doug Marone, potentially coming in as the offensive line coach. The reason I think that's so important uh, is, you know, he doesn't really have, he's had experience in the past on the college level, but, it's not uh it's been a little while but one thing about him is a he does have that experience he knows how to recruit he understands the game but on the on the flip side he's coached some very good offensive lines he's known as being a very good offensive line coach but the recruiting aspect is the most important factor and it's not that you know he's known for being this great recruiter but you got to think about it from the perspective of you know a a, a potential offensive of line prospect or really any prospect this is a guy that's got nfl head coaching experience if he's coming into your your living room to talk to your parents or whatever it is you trust that he knows what it takes to play in the nfl and being in the nfl and he knows how to develop guys um from from the offensive lines perspective so there's a lot of appeal there and just the connections that he has uh, think about it i mean it, when you spend that long in the nfl and you're a head coach, I mean, you've got connections uh, all over the place. So that's appealing for anybody that's wanting to come to Alabama to maybe maybe make it to the next level. So I think from that aspect, that was a very good hire, both from a coaching standpoint and from the standpoint of maybe not he, he's not known as just a heavy hitter hitting recruiter right now because he hadn't done it in a very long time. But he will be a guy who I think will be able to recruit at a very high level. See this, we can we can go ahead and dive into it a, a little bit. We'll probably do so in more detail uh, when they become official. But the two that the two replacements that are more or less in place but haven't been officially announced yet are Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. He's already calling recruits on on Alabama's behalf. So um, do with that information what you what you will, and then. Uh, Doug Marone were, were similarly confident that that will uh, come to reality. And uh, as we mentioned, you're you're losing a lot of really good recruiters in these offensive staff members that are uh, going to, to 40 acres with, with Steve Sarkeesian. And you pull people in Bill O'Brien, who has not recruited since he left Penn State in 2013, and Doug Marone, who has not been at the college level I think his last year at Syracuse was 2012. So you're you're talking about guys that have not recruited in almost a decade. Now, uh, I haven't done a ton of look into um, Doug Marone's um, recruiting background, which is why we'll, we'll dive into this in a podcast later on in the offseason when they're official. But Bill O'Brien actually recruited somewhat impressively at Penn State, especially considering the sanctions that they were under at the time, because remember Bill O'Brien took over immediately after Joe Paterno. Um, so they were hit with the, the Sandusky sca- scandal and the, the limitations and, um, and bans and, and all that that were put on them immediately after that. So when you take that into consideration, he recruited somewhat impressively at, at Penn State. Again, that was almost a decade ago. So there's there's a, a variable for for them to, to overcome, I guess, or at least uh, something to be uh, curious about as they take over these these positions. Then you're left with the tight ends coach and the running backs coach. There, there are several candidates for for both. Um, I, honestly, I think the thing that that interests me the most with regards to those two positions is the special teams coordinator tag. Like, is there, do they try to find a tight ends coach that also has something of a background in special teams and can be the special teams coordinator or do they maybe change around how they do things? Like for example, when the 10th assistant became a thing, I think in 2018, many schools, several in the sec, decided to have just a special teams coordinator that they had no other position responsibilities. Mississippi state did it. 
Uh, Georgia did it, and Georgia still does it with, with Scott Cochran now holding that title. Uh, so does Alabama do that? Do they possibly meld their offensive line and tight ends coach positions together, for instance? So Doug Marone has done that in the past. Um, I, I was actually looking he, – he coached both the offensive line and the tight ends earlier in his career. He did it in 2001 at Tennessee. Um, so it, it has been done, and it's been done – elsewhere so do they have an offensive line and tight ends coach and uh and have someone just as the special teams coordinator do they hire a tight ends coach who has a background in special teams and can do the same thing that jeff banks did or do they hire a running back coach who has a background in special teams and and has the the title of special teams coordinator as the running backs coach they're there, there are several options, and I, I think the the special teams coordinator tag uh, that remains to be assigned is is probably the thing that interests me most, other than the the obvious recruiting backgrounds and and ability to develop the guys at their given positions. Well, I'll say this because um, I also thought about that as far as just a, the tight ends coach slash offensive line for a guy like Doug Marone, because he does have that experience. But the conclusion that I kind of reached as I was working through it in my own head, uh, and, and this doesn't mean that, that it, it can't happen or won't happen. It's just, I kind of started thinking about it. I'm like, okay, back in 2001, the way that tight ends were used is not the same way they are today. They, they were yeah. a lot more uh, blockers. So that would, that was their main role. And then, you know, you had guys who were good, you know, solid pass catching options, but they were, it was mainly inline tight ends. You didn't have these guys moving around and playing, you know, uh, slot, big slot, you know, perimeter receiver, things like that, like you see today. And so I think it was a little bit easier uh, for him to just work with the blocking aspect of the offensive line and, or, and the, the, the tight ends as well kind of together. So I don't know if that, factors in at all uh it might it might not but it's just you know that's something that kind of at least crossed my mind but i completely agree as far as that duality of trying to you know get a guy who can you know it's just i guess it's playing to a guy's strengths um and that'll be very interesting like with special teams and tight ends um you know i always thought that was a rather interesting combination but a guy like Jeff Banks made it work, but his biggest impact, in my opinion, of course, was special teams. That's kind of why he was brought over, and that meant the kicking game was fantastic under him until this past year with Will Reichard. But you talk about the coverage units and the things that really you have a, a huge control over, and Alabama has been very effective uh, in those areas you know, under his uh, leadership with a special team. So continuing to – I think that's an aspect of football that goes very – unnoticed until you don't have good kick coverage units whether it be punt coverage or kickoff coverage if you got guys that are not doing their jobs or you know you don't have a good plan you don't have sure tacklers you don't have the right guys out there it is noticeable when teams are returning kicks and punts against you uh i can assure you so that um you know that's something to you know i think it's going to be fairly important to alabama is to make sure that they keep that those units up because they have been so effective and, and i think that's very important to nick say that's an aspect that um can create an advantage in a football game that i don't think enough people pay attention to and that includes coaches you know i I'm not trying to take uh, any sort of you know major shot at auburn but auburn is kind of no pun intended punted that position or those those spots um for you know a couple of years and it bit them in a lot of situations so i do think that alabama is going to want to try to find an adequate replacement there and then if that's something that they can do you know coach another position tight ends is one of those where you can send them with the offensive line coach let them do some work there as far as their blocking is concerned you can let them work with the receivers coach in that aspect so that's what i I like about having a, a guy be the special teams coordinator and the tight end coach is that you can have him, you know, he's just kind of there and technically he's their position coach, but you can send him other places or that your guys other places uh, to get the work that they need in order to be effective on game days and kind of work in unison with the offensive line and, you know, uh, have the timing with the quarterbacks, you know, tight ends are working in the seven on seven stuff and things like that. So that will be uh, super interesting, but just the amount of turnover. And I wanted to get kind of your thoughts. I mean, because I had the list and I understand that, 
you know, some of these guys are offensive analysts and defensive analysts and, you know, assistant to the head coach. So if you just look at specific on the field coaches, Alabama has taken quite a few hits offensively, but it doesn't look that bad. But when you start throwing in all these analysts and guys who had roles and creating game plans and helping create game plans and things like that, the list starts getting longer. And then you start talking about, you know, Charles Kelly or Carl Scott or Mike Stoops. You know, people were talking about them potentially leaving. I don't know if Missouri's filled their defensive coordinator role yet or not, but I know that those were three names that were being brought up with it. You talk about Pete Golding, um, you know, that he was connected to Texas. They've hired a guy, so he should be fine. I don't know how Alabama fans feel about that. Don't really care. But then uh, wide receivers coach uh, Holman Wiggins, that's another one who's been kind of floated as potentially departing as well. So just understand you know, what Alabama fans will point to every time you bring this up is, oh, this happens you know every year, or we've seen this tons. And it's like, yeah, but my, the point is, is how has Alabama done the following year? You're not going to see any kind of – and we'll get to the player drop-off here in just a minute or, or the turnover there, but – you're not going to see an LSU type of decline. I can fully acknowledge that. Uh, Alabama has proven that whether it be coaches, whether it be players, or whether it be some combination of both, they're going to be competitive each and every year. So that's not what I mean. I'm not saying that Alabama's going to have some kind of massive drop-off, but if you look at you know years that they've had to replace a ton of coaches – uh, or a, you know a ton of, a ton of players like we're going to see, and we'll talk about it here in a minute. It's you know how have those teams, following teams, done as far as winning a national championship? It, it's a matter of getting back to the top. That's the goal. You know, if I were to tell Alabama fans right now, okay, because of all these losses, they're going to you know get to the playoffs, but they're going to lose in the first round, or they're going to lose in the national championship. Are fans okay with that? And if they're not, then that's why we're talking about these things. Uh, we don't approach. Uh, off-season stuff with the expectation of, oh, you know, are they going to be good or are they not going to be good? It's do we think they're going to win a national championship or not win a national championship? And those are two very different things. So what is your are your thoughts on the amount of coaching turnover that we've seen so far this year and what could potentially be added to it? Uh, I don't know that any <clears throat> amount of turnover would shock me or like really – make me recalibrate my expectations because as people have mentioned and you kind of alluded to this happens so frequently. And honestly, <clears throat> this is kind of by design for, for, for two reasons. One, because when you have a program that operates at this high level, you know, people are going to come and get your people, you know, that people like Marshall are going to look at Charles Huff and say that would be a good person to be our next head coach. You know that people like Texas are going to look at Sark and say, yeah, we need that guy. And honestly, that tells you that you're hiring the right people. If And this goes in basically any and all walks of life, in, in, in any industry, if other people, if other companies aren't trying to hire your employees – you might need to question if you have good employees. Like if if your employees are applying for other jobs and they're never getting a sniff, that probably tells you something. So the fact that this happens so frequently tells you that Alabama's hiring good people, that they're hiring promising coaches who are good at what they do to the point that other schools think they can have them operate in a more prominent role like going from running backs coach to head coach as Charles Huff did. So it's, it's, it doesn't really change things for two reasons. One, because of that, because it tells you that Alabama is hiring good people and, and you would presume that they would continue to hire good people after that. But two, this is kind of what you need to keep the thing from getting stale. Uh, when you see coaches, stay in one place for more than like 10 years or so as, as Saban has now eclipsed with, with ease going into his 15th season in 2021, you, you see where sometimes it gets stale. And, and I think the Mac Brown era in Texas is the perfect example for that. After that 2009 season, when it got really stale, a lot of his coaches had, had been there for basically the entire time that he had been there. Greg Davis, was his offensive coordinator for almost the entire time he was at, at Texas. Dwayne Akina Akina was the defensive backs coach for almost all of Mac Brown's time at, at Texas. Bruce Chambers 
was the tight ends coach for for most of of Mac Brown's time there. Uh, Oscar Giles was was a pretty consistent um, staff member there. Like when you have people that are almost always there and and you don't really have any changeover, you risk things getting stale. So part of it is this assistant coach turnover while inconvenient and not necessarily easy. It's a good thing in the long run. Otherwise it might get stale on you. And, and Saban recognizes that like he, while he doesn't probably enjoy the process of having to turn over his entire staff every two to three years, he understands that a it's, in, it's indicative of his hiring ability. It's indicative that he is still hiring good people that other schools want to take them away from him and give them bigger jobs. So that's one, it's that validation that you're, you're doing what you're doing. Well, two, it, it helps him kind of refresh things. It, it helps him keep the message fresh and, and, and introduce new ideas to his program as was more obviously the case with uh, hires like Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and, and others. It it allows you to introduce new ideas to your program, which is going to do nothing but help you in the long term. Yeah, and, th- and that's a fantastic point. And, and you got to think, uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, the more you see a guy, the more confident you become in your ability to stop him and what i mean by that it's not like a nick saban thing or anything like that but when you when it's applied to if if you're playing a quarterback or you're going against a pitcher in baseball i guess is a better example the more that you go against that pitcher the more you pick up on his tendencies and you're able to have more success typically uh you know as you get more comfortable you have quarterbacks come in all the time backup quarterbacks that the defense didn't game plan for necessarily they weren't prepared for and they give them different things they have different tendencies and it's difficult for a defense to adjust one of the positive aspects of alabama having you know turnover at maybe the offensive coordinator position like they do at times is you know, by the if 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 Steve Sarkeesian was at Alabama for a decade, by the time that tenth year rolled around, pretty much everybody on the schedule outside of a couple of opponents would kind of know exactly what it is that Steve Sarkeesian was going to be trying to do. Uh, they would know his tendencies like the back of their hand. They would have been studying him for a long period of time, trying to figure out how to stop what he likes to do, and would they have success doing it? I, I mean, maybe they would have more success. I still think that he'd be successful. I'm not saying that, but the point being is, is you. What what can you know? Um, what can opposing defenses in 2021 take away from Alabama's offense in 2020? First of all, with the player turnover. Second of all, with you know, you now got Bill O'Brien potentially in there replacing a guy like Steve Sarkeesian, who's going to be a completely different style of offensive coordinator. Um, you know, it, it's kind of hard to know what to expect. It's going to make Alabama a little bit tougher to to game plan for. And even if you have film you know, two games, three games, four games, it's still an adjustment period. So there could be some positive taken away out of that, you know, looking at it that way. And then, you know, Steve Sarkeesian over the course of a couple of years uh, when he was the offensive coordinator, um, he still had tons of success. So it's not that I'm saying that, oh, it's a good thing that they're kind of keeping things going or they're, they're keeping things rotating. It's uh, there, there are some difficulties for opposing defenses by having, uh, that kind of turnover because you got a new quarterback, you got a new running back, you got new receivers, you got a new offensive coordinator. You know, th- uh, some of your offensive lines gone, tight ends are gone. So, I mean, how in the world do you know who that you need to take out of the game plan or whatever? It's just there's, there's different ways of looking at it, but it is very important to remember that Alabama, it, it, Nick Saban has proven that you're not going to see. LSU from this season you're not going to see and and I want everyone to be clear if I if you ever hear me talking about the concerns that I have for the coaching turnover and the player turnover and you know what that means for Alabama it is not me saying I think that they're going to have a significant drop off it's saying is that the difference is that what what could potentially keep them from winning a national championship you know just going you know 11 and 1 in the regular season maybe barely missing the sec championship maybe barely missing the playoffs maybe uh getting to the playoffs but losing in the first round maybe losing in the national championship you know those things matter uh and and so 
that's kind of the approach. And so I've had people, you know, I've written articles about it and I've talked, I've kind of shared my concerns. And then I've had a lot of people be like, oh, this is Nick Saban. He reloads, uh, you know, as long as he's in charge, which I like that concept because it's true. But I'm more so speaking, you know, can Alabama win it all or will they win it all? And how much does this, you know, at what, to what degree is this an obstacle standing in their way? Right. Let's quickly transition to, to players and we'll we'll get into um, some of the more affected position groups on, on the other side of the break. But I think there are some position groups that we can kind of gloss over pretty pretty quickly so I'll, I'll go through them quickly and if you think i'm glossing over a position more than i should be uh speak now or forever hold your peace quarterback seems pretty clear mac jones is going to the nfl draft bryce young is your very obvious heir apparent unless paul tyson or Jalen milrow puts up something absolutely incredible over spring and um preseason um, let's see. Tight end seems pretty clear cut. Miller Forrestall and Carl Tucker are gone. Uh, Major Tennyson is a redshirt junior, so could come back, could could go. Uh, in, in any event, Jalil Billingsley is, is very likely your feature tight end in 2021 with possibly Major Tennyson. Um, and in there with Cameron Latou, Melvin Billingsley, and then the two guys you're going to introduce in the Upcoming offseason, Caden Clark, who gray shirted in the 2020 class, and then Robbie Oates, O U Z T S, will we'll figure out how it's pronounced once he enrolls. And I see a pronunciation guide. Uh, defensive <laughs> line seems pretty clear cut as well. Like LeBron Ray could go, LeBron Ray could stay in any event. You're returning basically everyone from that position group, barring some, some transfers. Christian Barmore. Yeah, uh, and Christian Barmore, true. So you, you yeah. know you're losing Christian Barmore. You might lose LeBron Ray. But even after that, you're returning almost everyone since Ishmael Sopcher transferred during the season. So you're, you, uh, you didn't really have that to lose uh, towards the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Inside linebacker, Dylan Moses is on the way out. Christian Harris will be your guy at inside linebacker. And then you're, you're trying to find someone to pair with him. Current leader in the clubhouse is Jalen Moody, maybe Shane Lee, maybe Ale Cajo, maybe one of the freshmen from from this season, Q Robinson or Jackson Bratton could could step up, but uh, Jalen Moody is your clubhouse leader there. Um, and then I think that's it for the the pretty clear cut ones. Well, I guess safety. Jordan Battle's coming back. Daniel Wright should come back. Uh, Demarco Hellams remains an option there. Uh, Malachi Moore and Brian Branch are still your guys at, at uh, star slash money. Then you're adding Kane Williams and, and possibly Terry and Arnold the second as, as safeties in your upcoming recruiting class. The rest of the positions are a little more intriguing and, and nuanced. So uh, was there a position group in there that I glossed over too much in your opinion? And what do you mean by glossed over? Uh, I mean, like, did I make it more clear cut than, did I make it seem more clear cut than it actually is in your opinion? Um, no, uh, I mean, I think you did a pretty good job there and, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be curious to see, you know, you got the wide receivers, um, with, with Devonte Smith and Jalen Waddle being gone, Patrick Sertan, the second at corner, you got Josh Joe coming back. That's certainly, uh, really important. And then you got that, the, the cornerback spot opposite of Josh Job, I think, will be very one of the most important positions to keep an eye on. Not saying that it's going to be, you know, they've got to find the right guy, but it's just who, I mean, I, I couldn't even tell you. I, I did a projected depth chart uh, maybe about a week ago, um, and, you know, I just went ahead and threw Jalen Armour Davis at the top just because my kind of approach is if you're a true freshman, you're a first, uh, this is your first time in the Alabama program. I'm going to kind of put you down the depth chart until I start figuring out, okay, what's being said about your potential of, of playing, um, you know, what happens in spring. And then you might get something, you know, with Kool-Aid McKinstry where he maybe gets involved, maybe a Marcus Banks, maybe a Brandon Turnage. uh, And Ronald Williams is a guy who they brought in to be kind of an immediate contributor from the Juco ranks. He didn't end up being an immediate contributor. So can he kind of work his way into a role this year? You got Kyrie Jackson, who is a guy who I think can contribute immediately. Um, so 
there are so many potential options to play opposite of Josh Job that I'm going to be watching that position extremely close. And then, you know, also, uh, you know, other spots as well. Uh, the running back position, you know, that it's going to be a rotation of guys. Probably, you know, they have a ton of talent, so you're not overly concerned there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a repeat at the receiver position um, from a, a few years ago. Like if you remember, you had Jerry Judy, Devonte Smith, and Henry Ruggs the third, who were all true freshmen, all super talented. You know, all were five stars depending on the recruiting service uh, by at least one, and were expect expected to contribute immediately, and all three did. But you still had, you know, Calvin Ridley was the true number one. You had guys like Robert Foster and and Cam Sims, who were the the senior guys. They were technically considered the starters and, and still saw action. I wouldn't be surprised if you kind of saw that same approach this year. You know, you got the talented foursome coming in with, with Ja'Cory Brooks and Hall and, and uh, JoJo Earl and Christian Leary. But, you know, it is possible that one of those guys ends up assuming a starting role. But, you know, uh a guy like John Mechie could be the equivalent of your Calvin Ridley and then your Slade Boldens and your, you know, Javon Bakers and Xavier Williams and whoever else, maybe those, you know, some of those guys end up acting as, you know, the, the, the equivalent of a Cam Simpson or a Robert Foster. So that'll be something interesting to kind of keep an eye on. And we'll get into all of that in closer detail on the other side of the break. This is the Bama beat podcast. And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Homefield Apparel and Wickles Pickles, which y'all know by now it's a family recipe, 90 years in the making, right here in the state of Alabama for pickles, relishes, okras, a sandwich spread, and much more. It's So, like, if you've been to a hot chicken place, right, and they put the, the pickle on top of the pickles on top of the chicken, and uh, most of the time the, the pickle kind of takes on a little bit of the spice from the the skin of the chicken, right? So your pickle has a little bit of spice to it, but not so much that it's overbearing. It still gives you that brine, that pickle flavor, but with a little bit of heat to it. This is basically a jar of all of those pickles right there. And they do it with okra relish and other pickle-related on their website at Wickles Pickles.com and find them in the pickle aisle of your local store, Wickles Pickles. Let's get wicked. So as we look forward to a, an offseason of continued turnover for the roster, let's let's look at some of the position groups that are most likely to be affected or at least present the most question marks when, when the team reconvenes for spring practice. We already mentioned that quarterback, tight end, defensive line, inside linebacker, and deep safety are all pretty – pretty solidified uh, it, it seems like we we somewhat agreed on that you ran through the corner situation pretty well but before the break you you assume that Josh Job is going to hold his starting position for 2021 and you're you're tasked with finding someone to fill the the monstrous shoes of Patrick Sertan the second the the list of candidates there being Jalen Armour Davis Marcus Banks and Brandon Turnage from this year's team, in addition to Ronald Williams Jr., a, a JUCO addition who is an option at corner, but it's also an option at other positions. Like if if Bama wanted to move Malachi Moore, for instance, from from star to to corner, you could put Ronald Williams there. I don't I don't think that's going to happen. I'm just I'm trying to make the point that Ronald Williams Jr. is an option for a bunch of positions, cornerback being one of them. Then you add Devontae Smith, not the wide receiver, the the cornerback signee from from Ohio, and Kyrie Jackson, um, a, a junior college addition in the recruiting class, in addition to possibly the most ballyhooed addition to the 2021 recruiting class, Jaquincy McKinstry, a.k.a. Kool-Aid, five-star prospect from Pinson Valley High School in the Birmingham area, who's going to play football and basketball at Alabama, one of the best cornerbacks in the nation in the 2021 recruiting class. He will also be involved. So you have Armour Davis, Banks, Williams Jr., and Turnage in terms of current players on the roster that are options at corner. Then you add in McKinstry, Kyrie Jackson, and Devontae Smith um, as options uh, as well. 
where where it goes is honestly anyone's guess. There isn't a clear heir apparent there behind Sertan II. So that's possibly one of the most heated position battles of, of spring practice when we get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, and I'll be curious to see um, who ends up emerging from that because – there are so many potential options and I could see it going in so many different directions. Uh, in, in the past, when a Juco guy or a transfer guy is brought in, he's brought in to contribute. That didn't happen with Ronald Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, I, I still think that's entirely the goal with Kyrie Jackson. I think he's capable. I think he's actually capable of filling a lot of different roles for Alabama. He's got some versatility. He's a, he's a very physical player, hard hitter, Tons of size and length. He would be extremely tough to, to throw over um, on the perimeter and zone coverage. He would be uh, a, a very physical presence on the perimeter at, as an outside corner. I mean, like I said, you could play him in a lot of different roles, but if he ends up being that guy or if he ends up just being a chess piece for Alabama, either way, I think we do see quite a bit of Kyrie Jackson in year one. Uh, but who ends up being that true outside corner, I think will be very important. Uh, and, and it could be McKinstry. Um, that's, that's certainly possible. We've seen guys like D Milner kind of step on campus and assume roles early uh, and things like that. But um, that that's certainly one of the more interesting position battles to watch as spring approaches. And I think that we'll be able to, as long as spring is normal, which I hope it will be. Um, and we're able to kind of get a, you know, the the several practices plus the the spring game to see how kind of guys look and and who's getting the reps and who isn't i think that will be very important and 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 will go a long way in telling us who that could potentially be but as of right now i mean if you told me to predict somebody i can make an argument for probably four or five different guys outside linebacker is a position i didn't uh describe as one of the more clear-cut ones only because there are some incoming freshmen at that position that are pretty promising. You know, normally when when you have Will Anderson Jr., who had a huge breakout freshman season, freshman All-American, and then Christopher Allen, who, uh, unless something changed during bowl season, I believe he led the SEC in tackles for a loss. Let me double-check that real quick. He did. He led the SEC with 13 tackles for loss. Georgia's Aziz Ojolari was second with 11 and a half only he was one of five guys in the sec to have 10 or more tackles for loss so when you have a freshman all-american and the sec leader in tackles for a loss at a position you would normally think that one's pretty clear cut right but you are adding dallas turner a five-star guy out of st thomas aquinas the same high school that produced jordan battle by the way uh, and, and then pretty late in the process, you also stole one from from LSU, uh, Keanu Coat, out of Vero Beach, Florida. Um, so you you add two highly talented prospects to the position. You you had others behind Allen and um, and Anderson and Drew Sanders and Chris Braswell. And then there's obviously the Ben Davis question if he comes back. That's another person for some of these talented underclassmen to beat out on the depth chart to earn their playing time. And if he doesn't come back, then you you wonder how someone like Drew Sanders might push himself for a little more outside linebacker playing time or if someone like Dallas Turner or Keanu Cope takes that over. So I think the 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 battle for the what what makes outside linebacker more interesting to monitor is the second string than the than the first string but it is something that isn't as clear-cut as some of the other positions yeah and alabama can take the approach of you know kind of like they did this year where it's the will anderson christopher allen show where they handle you know a, a significant majority of the reps or uh, you know, I, I know that you can never have too many pass rushers. And so if you can build some depth there with guys that you trust, um, I think that would make the entire group better. You know, uh, what's better than a Will Anderson that's, you know, playing 60 snaps is a Will Anderson that's playing 50 or 45 or whatever it is because he's a lot more fresh when he is playing. Um, so, but at the same time, you don't want some kind of significant drop off when he's not in there. 
So you got to find guys that you trust. And, and with a true freshman like a Chris Braswell, a Drew Sanders, you know, he was kind of like I would con- probably consider him that number three. Um, and then, you know, a, a guy like Quan Robinson, depending on where he ends up playing, it, it, hopefully they're able to take that next step. Maybe some of those true freshmen, like you said, can be ready to contribute immediately. Um, and we'll kind of have to see the fact that you're getting a coat who's going to be enrolling early, but I think he's, he's pretty lean right now. He's only 215 pounds. I'd really like to see him get up to at least that 230 pound range. If he can do that, I think that could certainly help him. But then Dallas Turner is not an early enrollee. And so I wonder if that kind of puts him behind the curve and he's kind of got to wait his turn. Uh, maybe, you know, see some situational reps or some, you know, mop up duty in year one and then takes over maybe for a Chris Frowlin or competes to take over uh, following this year. Uh, that's certainly possible, but um, yeah, the, the outside linebacker Alabama's in great shape. They've recruited the position extremely well over the last couple of years. And that's really going to help them. I I think that the, the transition has officially been made with that spot where, they're adding tons of, of explosive, talented bodies that fit the, just pass rushing terrors on the edge. You know, not guys that necessarily are going to be elite edge setting, you know, early down run defenders. But with the way that college football is going, and especially when you're going against Alabama's offense and you're trying to play keep up, you need guys that can get after the quarterback. And they've certainly done a very good job of, uh, of doing that. We, we also said we would give you a, a quick overview of some of the decisions in terms of coming back or, or going that have been made or have not been made and thus need to be made. Most of the ones on the defensive side of the ball have, have already come in. We know Joshua McMillan is heading out. We know Dylan Moses is heading out. We know Fidelia Mathis is coming back. Um. The, the, the primary ones that are out there are Ben Davis, we, we mentioned earlier, and then Christopher Allen is a redshirt junior, so he's technically draft eligible. Um, he, maybe he comes back, maybe he doesn't. I can see where the, the SEC leader in tackles for a loss would be an interesting prospect for, for the draft, but I can also see where he would, would benefit from coming back and being more of a, a standout player within his own defense for, for a season if that were – uh, possible for for him and then LeBron Ray uh, another one redshirt junior draft eligible has been severely limited by injuries over the last couple of seasons does he come back to try to get a healthy season or does he just go to to make the most of whatever his body has available to him after these injuries so most have been made uh, decisions have been made but Ben Davis LeBron Ray and then to a lesser extent Christopher Allen are, are three decisions that remain on the board flipping over to the offensive side let's go to the running backs where Najee Harris is gone Brian Robinson Jr. is is a big piece of of that um, core and and whether he comes back or not he was a senior this year and he would if he comes back he would by far be the most experienced person in Alabama's running back core he had more carries in 2000 he had more carries this year than the entire career carries of the three people behind him which are Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams and um Trey Sanders they they combined for something in the neighborhood of like 70 carries um uh, this year I can I can try to pull it up and and do the math very quickly they combined for 72 carries it looks like yeah Jays McClellan Trey Sanders and Roy Dell Williams combined for 72 carries that and that's their entire career carries because Trey Sanders didn't run any in 2019 due to his uh his injury Brian Robinson had 91 carries this year not to mention 96 in 19 63 in 18 and 24 in 17 so he coming back would obviously bring a ton of experience to the running back core and, and possibly put him in a position to be the feature running back for the first time in, in his career. He's been the number two to Najee Harris the last two years. So if he comes back, he brings a ton of experience to a running back core that very well could need it. If he doesn't come back, then you're, you're looking at returning just that 72 career carries 
to your running back position in the form of Jace McClellan, Trey Sanders, and, and Roy Dell Williams. Uh, and possibly that changes if Keelan Robinson comes back after his opt-out in 2020. He had 39 carries in 2019, so there's a little bit more experience. Not a lot, but a little. And then you have the five-star current recruit, Kamar Wheaton, assuming that he signs and enrolls. You'll you'll add him, too. But I think the the tenor of the running back position for 2021 really currently kind of hinges on if Brian Robinson Jr. decides to come back or not. Yeah, I, I think at this point, um, a lot of different guys that can end up seeing carries, uh, a lot of talented players, um, and and so I think that Alabama is going to be just fine there. Uh, they're going to get production no matter who they put out there at this point, and it's just a matter of figuring out carry distribution and and you know how many you know do you want to have a one-headed monster, a two, a three, a four? Uh, it's just really whatever you want to do, and and getting Keelan Robinson back. Um, you know, how does he fit into things? I'll be curious to see that, but yeah, they're absolutely loaded, uh, at the running back spot and, and they are going to get production no matter who's out there. Now, are they going to get Najee Harris type of production where he's that much of an impactful player, you know, in the run game and the receiving game? I mean, that kind of remains to be seen, but you can also find a combination of guys that can kind of give you that depending on the situation. Uh, it's always great when you have one guy that can do it all because then it's not, you're not telling the defense anything by having him out there. Uh, but yeah, I certainly think that Alabama's going to be left in, in very good hands at the running back spot, and how Brian Robinson fits into that will be, you know, interesting to to kind of watch because he ran extremely hard, you know, especially late in the season. You know, when he got those opportunities against Notre Dame, when he got the opportunities against Ohio State, he was a guy that you know you could just he runs angry uh, and and runs motivated, and runs like a guy who wants more carries. And, and more opportunities and so maybe he'll be given that but there's plenty of other options in that backfield as well wide receiver um Devonte smith is, is exiting stage left as is jane waddle john mentioned third is your obvious candidate to most obvious candidate i should say to be your your number one receiver next year what happens beyond that is is interesting to me because slade bolden had a had a pretty uh, uh recognizable role on on this year's team i guess he was someone who they would turn to when they needed a true slot receiver and that ended up uh getting him some some touches over the course of the the season especially after uh waddle's injury i mean there were there were he, he was kind of hot and cold i guess like he he didn't have a single catch in the iron bowl uh, only one in the LSU game, two against Florida, two against Notre Dame, but he had six against Tennessee, four against Arkansas, three against State, and three in the national title game against Ohio State, one of them for a touchdown, uh, I believe his first career touchdown on on that catch. So uh, he's someone who is primed to see his role increase, but there were also some promising freshmen at the position on this year's team, Javon Baker is the one who seemed to kind of elevate himself above the others, but there's also Trayshawn Holden and Tyu Jones-Bell. But then uh, this wide receiver class coming in that will be freshmen, true freshmen, in 2021 are just uh, – this is almost as good as it gets in, in terms of a wide receiver haul in, in one class. Ja'Cory Brooks is a five-star. Ajayi Hall is a four-star. God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Christian Leary is a four-star. JoJo Early is a four-star. They're they're all signed with with Alabama. Uh, most of them are early enrolling. Uh, JoJo Early is not, but the others are. So John Mechie the third seems like someone who's who's going to significantly elevate his his role in the receiving core. This year he had 55 catches. I, I find it hard to believe. Presuming full health, I find it hard to believe that number doesn't get to at least 80 next year. And, and then Slade Bolden's role will increase some to what extent, I think is primarily determined by how good the the current freshmen and the upcoming freshmen are. Yeah, and I mean, you've kind of already gotten my thoughts on the receivers. Um, it another position that's absolutely Xavier loaded. Williams. I didn't mention Xavier Williams too. He had a very strange breakout towards the end of the the year. He's he's someone that needs to be mentioned in this. I I'm, I almost didn't uh, remember that. Yeah, yeah. And so it's just a matter of you know finding the right combination of guys. You know how, how much action is the young guns going to get? Uh, it might not be a ton early. It just depends on 
you know, what happens in spring and, and who kind of emerges in, in those competitions. But I think that over the course of the season, there you're certainly going to get contributions from at, at the very least one of them, probably two, maybe even three. Um, and so they'll be a part of the rotation, certainly. And, you know, you might see their roles start to grow over the course of the year. But even those guys in front of them, you know, with a Slade Bolden, uh, you know, one thing about a guy like Bill O'Brien bringing him in is if you do, uh, that's not official, but if you do choose to, to make him your offensive coordinator, A, a guy like Ja'Cory Brooks, big-bodied ex-receiver type, uh, can win 50-50 balls. You talk about the success that Bill O'Brien has had with that type of guy, you know, with, with the Houston Texans. You had DeAndre Hopkins for several seasons. When he was at Penn State, you had Allen Robinson, perfect ex-receiver. So Ja'Cory Brooks, you know, could do well, but then you look at, you know, the success that uh, that Bill O'Brien had at, with the Patriots, having Wes Welker as that kind of slot underneath uh, short to intermediate stuff, uh, security blanket option as well. So Slade Bolden is not necessarily, you know, Wes Welker, but he's got some similarities, and it's not just him being a shorter white receiver. Um, <laughs> they're both, you know, crafty route runners and things like that. So, you know, th- there's some success there too. Uh, and, and, and I think that, Bill O'Brien would know how to use a guy like Slade Bolden if that was one of your starters that you needed to kind of rely on a little bit. So I think they're in a pretty good spot with the receiving group. Uh, not a ton of experience necessarily, but enough experience. I think it's a very good combination of you got your one super experienced guy, you got several guys who's got a little bit of experience, and then you have just a ridiculously talented freshman group coming in. So I think that's the right combination to you know not have maybe the success that Alabama's had the last two years that spot necessarily. Uh, there might be some drop off just, you know, I'm not saying this going to happen, but you don't want to automatically assume uh, that, that these guys are going to be able to match what has been some of the you know most productive college football seasons of all times from a group of receivers. So um still think Alabama's in very good shape at that spot. And if it ends up being Bryce Young as a starting quarterback, he's set up very nicely. And then finally on the offensive line, I think everyone recognized how big of a deal it, it was that, Chris Owens decided to come back for 2021. It made a lot of sense for him personally because he was, uh, I mean, I think he was pretty clearly Alabama's number six offensive lineman in each of its last two seasons. So uh, having three senior starters decide to to go, Landon Dickerson, Deontay Brown, and Alex Leatherwood, opens up a very obvious path to, to playing time for him. But I also think it was important for Alabama because he can play multiple positions because, yes, he he was the guy who filled in at center for Landon Dickerson in the college football playoff. But Alabama also has a promising center in Darian Dalcourt. They, they have a guy they really like there, so they could very well bump Chris Owens out to a tackle spot, which – he played he started right tackle one game this year in, in Evan Neal's place and you're having to replace Alex Leatherwood so you could easily bump him out there. I don't know if Chris Owens projects well as a guard, but he plays center and he plays tackle. I don't know why he couldn't play guard, right? He could very easily fill in for Deontay Brown at the guard spot opposite Emolekior Jr., which would allow you to keep Darian Dalcourt in as your center, and then all you got to do is fill in your your tackle with, with with a bunch of options you have there, some of them in the upcoming recruiting class. Also, J.B. and Cohen, who is a, an all, a, a freshman all-SEC guy um, this year, playing largely in, in backup roles, obviously. So the the Chris Owens' decision to come back was was a big one for, for Alabama, not only because – he, he will bring some experience to a unit that needs it, having lost three senior starters. But he also brings flexibility positionally to give Alabama a better chance of putting its best five offensive linemen on the field as opposed to putting the, the five guys that best fit certain positions, which are not always the same. Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and, and I've kind of just... Leave it at that with the offensive line. I know that we've kind of pressed Tom here. Uh, I think he did a pretty good job covering him, so I'll leave it at that. All right. Well, when we uh, when we come back, the the off season beat will will continue on. How exactly that that looks remains to be seen. Clint and I'll have to do some production meetings on the on the back end, but the the basketball podcasts are still rolling on. I imagine they're more popular than ever now that Alabama basketball is a top 15 team in the country most recently projected as a two seed 
in the NCAA tournament by Joe Lenardi. And then we got a baseball schedule earlier this week. The the baseball team will hit the the seat, hit the field for official team workouts in about a week or so. So Hunter and I will be cranking up the baseball podcast pretty soon. So there will be Bama beat content in the in the near future and football content in the near future, just in a in a format that has yet to be determined. Hopefully we can actually plan this thing out and execute it as opposed to plan this thing out and then have a, a global pandemic bring it to a screeching halt. We'll figure it out one way or the other. We appreciate you listening to all of it here on the Bama Beat Podcast. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.